A reading from the New Testament. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to share ill, ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered abuse suffered for the Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, unafraid of the king's anger, for he persevered as though he saw who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. A reading from the Old Testament. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, he led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, Moses called out to him, God called out to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites will now come to me, and I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you, that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, If I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, 
and this my title for all generations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Several of you have mentioned that the journalist and former press secretary of the, of, of the president, Bill Moyers, used to attend worship here. Diane and I recently saw a, a documentary on PBS where he was interviewed and talked about going to the White House, I think, when he was 29, after President Kennedy uh, had been killed. This was sometime later, the story that I've heard. Johnson held one of his big dinners at the White House. Ambassadors, diplomats, representatives, senators showed up. When it came time for dinner, Johnson said, Bill Moyers, here's my press secretary. He's also an ordained Baptist minister, so I've asked him to say our grace. So Moyers invited everyone to bow their head, and he began to lead the prayer of thanksgiving for the food. In the middle of the prayer, like the big blustery Texan that he was, Johnson interrupted him and said, Speak up, man, speak up. I can't hear you. Moore said, well, with all due respects, Mr. President, I wasn't speaking to you. <laughs> In the text that Margaret read to us, we overhear the conversation of God and Moses. And I believe if we open our ears and our hearts, it will speak to us as well. All is not well, we read in Exodus chapter 1, verse 8, these ominous words. Now a new king arose over Egypt who didn't know Joseph. Suddenly the tables are turned. The rich and the powerful become the poor and the downtrodden. The Hebrews become slaves in Egypt. And for years and years things look bleak. There is no apparent hope, no hope on the horizon. But all's not lost. In the middle of this oppression and bondage, God chooses Moses to lead the Hebrew children to freedom. Most of us, I hope, remember the Moses story. Hidden by his mother because of Pharaoh's threat to kill all the little Hebrew boys, he's discovered by Pharaoh's daughter, and lo and behold, Moses' own mother is paid to raise her son in Pharaoh's house. My. Most likely, Moses receives a fine Egyptian education, given the opportunity to learn many things about the Egyptians that will be crucial to his leadership of the Hebrew children later on. At one point, he sides with a Hebrew in a dispute with an Egyptian. He kills the Egyptian and has to flee to Midian. And once again, he learns much that will equip him, that equips him to lead the Hebrew tribes later on. 
And so in retrospect, it's not very difficult, is it? To see the hand of God at work in Moses' life all along. Preparing him for this special task. But that's the truth about how God's, God works. Preparing us, equipping us to do God's work. We may not know where, when, or how, but be assured it is happening in your life and in mine. If we fail to pay attention, we miss out. We miss out. We blunder our way through life, missing out on what God is doing and wants to do because we are preoccupied with lesser gods. You see, the truth is God, more often than not, in my life, and I think here, God comes unexpectedly. You see, for Moses, it's just another day with the sheep. The day dawns like every other day. He's working for his father-in-law. There's nothing special about this day. We have no record and don't imagine that Moses sets out that morning looking for some grand religious experience. He's not on a religious pilgrimage. In fact, we don't even know that he was very pious. At least right here we don't. doesn't say he's in the middle of quiet time for the morning. He's merely minding his own business. But stumbles onto a holy place simply by doing his job. You see, out of the ordinary comes the extraordinary. Out of the daily comes the holy. Holy moments happen that way. They catch us. They surprise us, but we have to be open to them. It's quite a spirited conversation between God and Moses, isn't it, that we're privy to here. Moses does his best to pass the buck, keeps telling God, you know, that's not my job. It's not my job. It doesn't have my name on it. My guess is the nominating committee has been hearing that quite a bit from some of you. But God, as we would expect, relates to Moses with utter integrity, takes each objection seriously, urging, encouraging, but never manipulating. For the truth is God never does God's work by manipulation and coercion. And anyone who does that is not doing God's work. You see, there was a poor Jewish family in Germany many years ago. They couldn't find work as hard as they tried. We're qualified. We're clerks. We have credentials. We can work for the court. But they couldn't find work. Why? Because they weren't in the church. So the couple, to avoid starving to death, submitted to baptism in the local church. But guess what? They had a son. A son named Carl. Carl Marx. Who was so incensed that the church would do that. That he became an enemy of all that we love. 
at least in part because the church coerced, they forced, they manipulated. He's different. He's different. We can't do business with him or her. He's different. He's Muslim. She's different. She's a prostitute. If they'll clean up their act, we'll be glad, glad to help. Because after all, that's what Jesus did, right? Isn't that what he did? Remember Zacchaeus? Didn't he tell Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, as soon as you clean up your act and quit stealing from people, I'm going to come to your house and visit you. No. He didn't do that. And guess what? Neither should we. You see, God intends to redeem these people in Exodus. It's, it's, done, it's done by humankind. God uses humans to do God's work. We only have to look to one called Jesus of Nazareth. Moses is qualified. He's been prepared. He's been equipped for the task. All the while, Moses and the rest of us, we continue to receive God's assurance that we are not alone. You know, that's been the amazing thing to me as I've watched and as we have all watched what's happening in Texas. That affirmation that we're not alone. We've got somebody in this with us. But let me tell you something. It's a lot like when you lose a loved one. And there for a couple of weeks, everybody's around you, holding you up. But then all of a sudden, they disappear. You see, that's not good. That's not good when we lose a loved one. It's not good when we lose all our worldly goods. We need someone to continue to walk alongside us. To let us know that we're not alone. When you go through the waters, I'll be there. You see, alone, we can't do much. But together as God's people and with God's call, we can make a real difference. For like Moses, we are called by God as Jim Melson reminded us last Wednesday night at Faith, Food, and Fellowship that we all have gifts and we have the responsibility for it. Acknowledging those gifts, owning those gifts, and using those gifts in the ministry of Christ's church. We won't be fulfilled. We won't be complete. There will always be an emptiness in our lives and unless and until we reach out and embody the Christ in the world around us using the gifts that we, God has given us. The good news for us and for Moses is that we are not alone. Moses knows the odds and they're not good. The odds against freeing the people are absolutely overwhelming, but God is in the midst of God's people to do the heavy lifting. I will be with you, Moses, the text reminds us. You know me through what I've done in the past. The past is prelude to the future. If we have the eyes, the heart, the spirits that are open, we will catch a glimpse of God's work and like Moses, we will have the opportunity to share in God's work of liberation and redemption 
but the excuses keep coming, don't they? And even, even when they get out of Egypt, the Hebrew children begin to grumble and complain while they can still see Egypt and the life of bondage very clearly in their rearview mirrors. You know, change. Always difficult, isn't it? Always difficult. Moses never got to the promised land, so he's a failure, right? A failure. But the Hebrews text that Margaret read says he's a hero of the faith. Hero. A success, if you will. You know, I think it all comes down to what Phyllis McGinley said in her book, Saint Watching. They lost their tempers, she writes, got hungry, scolded God, were egotistical or testy or impatient in their turns, made mistakes and regretted them. But still, they went on doggedly, blundering their way toward heaven. End of quote. Isn't that the nature of success? I believe that's the kind of sainthood that God is calling you and me to this morning. It's the kind of work that God is calling McLean Baptist Church to in the next 100 years. Thanks be to God.